You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to another edition of the RN Mentor Podcast. I'm super excited today to be joined by Dr. Jacqueline Taylor. Uh, She is the Helen F. Pettit Professor of Nursing at Columbia University School of Nursing, where she is also the founding executive director of the Center for Research on People of Color. Dr. Taylor has been a trailblazer in cardiovascular genomics research among minority population and diversity and inclusion efforts having been the first Black woman to earn tenure at Columbia University School of Nursing, New York University School of Nursing, and the Yale School of Nursing. Dr. Taylor has been recognized for her contributions to the advancement of biomedical sciences, healthcare, and public health, having been elected to the National Academy of Medicine in 2019. Dr. Taylor is committed to mentoring and advancing health equity as she received the Columbia University Irving Medical Center 2021 Mentor of the Year Award and the 2021 Friend of the National Institute of Nursing Research uh, President's Award for her significant work in race, culture, and disparities in healthcare. Dr. Taylor has been PI of many studies, including but not limited to an R01 from the National Institute of Nursing Research, the integrational impact of genetic and psychological factors on blood pressure, a presidential early career award for scientists and engineers award from President Obama in 2017 are among her many awards. Uh, In addition to leading these grants, Dr. Taylor founded the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at Yale School of Nursing and served as its inaugural Associate Dean of Diversity, and then went on to become the inaugural Endowed Chair of Health Equity to develop and direct the Myers Biological Laboratory at NYU before joining Columbia University. Welcome to the show, Dr. Taylor. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all your kind words and for the invitation to participate in this podcast with you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to uh, finally connect uh, and have you on the show. Um, So we'll get started right off the bat with how did you get started in the world of nursing? Oh, gosh. Um, I I guess I should start very early on. Um, At the age of six, I was diagnosed with Wilms tumor. It's um, cancer of the kidney. And so um, I I received excellent care at University of Michigan Children's Hospital, and I was provided care by um, an African-American nurse, and her her name happened to be Jackie. So it was the first time I really had interacted with, you know, nurses at the bedside, you know, being a child. But after that, you know, I just, I saw that and the care that I received and how she was able to help keep me calm during lots of different procedures, chemotherapy, surgery, um, work with my parents and my siblings and keep them, you know, abreast of all the things that they were doing and, you know, what they could expect. And I really thought, you know, that it was a really amazing thing. And I wanted to do that when I grew up, you know, I wanted to help other people. So that was, that was my first, um, experience and, you know, thoughts about becoming a nurse. Um, I don't think there was anyone else in my family that was a nurse. I'm the first in my family to go to college. I have, uh, there were 11 of us, 11 um, children in my family. Um, My father worked for Ford Motor Company um, in Michigan, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, took care of us. Um, So there was really no, you know, I didn't have siblings or parents or any history of people in my family as, you know, nurses, but just that experience of being care, having someone care for me in such a great way. Um, you know, it was, 
something that I wanted to do and my family really encouraged it too because they had a great experience and was happy with the care that I received at, at the hospital there. And then I just, you know, I continued on and um, was able to go to Wayne State University in Detroit and um, was accepted into the nursing school and was able to um, receive all three of my nursing degrees from there. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once some of us, like once we find a place like we like and it offers everything we need, that's one stop shopping for us. Why, why mess up the formula? Right. So that's right. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I didn't know about all the opportunities that were available in nursing. I, you know, I, as a child, I had that experience and that nurse that took care of me. But once I entered into the nursing program at Wayne State, I learned about nurse practitioners. I learned about, you know, you can get a PhD in nursing. I learned about all the different opportunities and um, things that will be open to, you know, and careers in nursing. So I, I continued on um, at Wayne State. And it's funny, I always tell people this story because I applied to the master's program and I thought, you know, I, you know, I'll just apply to the master's program. But then they had this BSN to PhD program and my advisor at the time, she was a pediatric nurse practitioner. I applied to the um, pediatric nurse practitioner program. And she said, why aren't you, you know, you have great test scores and your grades are excellent. Why aren't you applying to the PhD program? Like the, you know, uh, uh, PhD where you can get your master's along the way. And I had been discouraged by faculty that said, well, you have to work so many years uh -huh. before you can apply to a PhD program. And she said, absolutely not. That's not true. <laughs> and so she just, you know, she, and it was the same requirements. You just had, you know, my, I had the GRE scores and all of those things. And she scratched out the, you know, on the top of the master's application and put PhD. <laughs> 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 so, you know, it was, I, I'd love to, you know, let people know that you know, all along the way, I've been very fortunate to have great people in my life to ask the question and help guide me and say, well, why not? Why aren't you doing this? What is it that you want to do? And then that will, you know, help guide me to do those things. Like, even if it's just, you know, crossing that out and saying, no, you apply to the PhD program. And sometimes we, we need that little push. And I hope to be um be that for other people in terms of mentorship and sponsorship that's so uh, yeah i mean it's amazing that you bring this up because we do it so much as a profession where we try to put like the experience of, of what we've done in the past and has been traditional in the profession without any evidence of why we do it that way or without any just because we've always done it that way and that's what we advise for people and we see the results of people who are going through these programs that are pushing them through and making them, uh, putting them in roles earlier in their career where you don't have to be, you know, um, have like yeah. 10 years under your belt before we do this kind of stuff. Uh, but we push that model so much and there's no evidence that once you come out the other side, you're any better or worse. Um, well, and, you know, we have to look at, you know, look at our other scientific companies colleagues like um engineering basic sciences exactly you know there's no requirement that you work you know five ten years before you apply for a master's or a phd in those disciplines and it's highly encouraged for people to go straight through and to complete um, the terminal degree right, so right. you know if we encourage that more we may not um it can help alleviate i think some of the things that we see now in terms of faculty shortage, um, right. shortage of faculty at the um, at the administrative level. Um, if we think about more succession planning, we can be more mm -hmm. effective and in, in helping people to get through um, in, a, in a more timely fashion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, so many times, like when we go, when we're searching for faculty positions, we're, we're like some of the applicants, like nothing wrong with that, but so many of our applicants are people who have already had a full career mm -hmm. and now want to give back to the profession as faculty, which is fantastic. But yes. we also don't have the opportunity to have that faculty with us, you know, like 
20, 30 years, because again, they're at the end of their career and they're just looking to give back at that point, which I love because I, I love the, I love being able to receive that experience in the, in the, from academic perspective. But again, uh, from a, from a, if you look at it from a scientific community perspective, so many of our colleagues who are in other professions are starting in their twenties and thirties. That's right. Uh, as researchers. Yeah, the average age of a, a PhD graduate in nursing is what, 48, you know, like it's, yeah, that's... it's much older. And then by the time you complete, if you go into a postdoc for a couple of years or so, and then if you go into an academic position and then you have seven to 10 years before tenure, depending on the institution that you go to, by the time you reach tenure, you're retirement eligible. <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> How exactly. much time are you, are you really... <laughs> really have to contribute to the profession and to advance science and right. you know the more time we have I think the more innovation and the further we can go um, if, if people can yeah. get an earlier start. I think part of that has to also do with so much of the of the work we do is we're so concentrated on bedside nursing that we sometimes don't realize the contributions of nursing in the community, within the scientific realm, within like bedside nurse, bedside research. So there's so many things that we do that is not just bedside, but it seems like the profession as a whole, we concentrate everybody's career at the bedside, which has its own benefits. Uh, but and, I think- And I can, I can see that because we do need, you know, we do need to work, um, enhance workforce issues. We do need nurses at the bed, bedside. Right. You know, if I get sick, I want nurses taking care of me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but we also need to um, enhance, you know, the the nurse practitioners, the DMPs, the PhDs, the, you know, all of the event, because we have this advanced training and we have the capacity and the knowledge base and the skill to advance um, healthcare in many right. ways, not, you know, at the bedside, um, in health policy and, you know, re scientific research, bench to bedside to community, um, being a part of the community outreach, mobile clinics, um, all of that. I think, yeah. you know, we are essential in all areas. Yeah. So I think we need to help grow um, each, each one of those layers and, and try to identify where um, people have their strengths. Who are those people that love clinic? Who are those people that love to do work in the, in the laboratory? Who are those nurses that love to do the data analytics and the big data and population health? Who are those um, um, practitioners that um, want to start primary care clinics, mobile clinics, and take care of people in the community? Yeah. So, it's working towards people's strengths and and helping them to develop those. But I don't, I don't. Do you think we do that identification? And like, let's say we have students in our bachelor's programs or even our ADM programs. Do you think we're identifying students, or are we just trying to get them out the door to go work bedside? I think a lot, we missed a lot of opportunities. I think we can do a better job. At right. It. I'm sure right. some places, you know are really good at, at, at those things. But then, you know, you have some institutions like, you know, I'm at Columbia University, we don't have undergraduate nursing. Oh, okay. So, yeah. you know, we have to look towards other um, universities or schools of nursing that have undergraduate nursing to, you know, um, think about how we can create a pipeline. And I mm. think that's what we can work harder towards, like creating a, a strong pipeline where students are, you know, interested in, you know, continuing on if that's their interest, but helping to facilitate how they can do that without um, having a break in their education. Uh, I know it's very costly to continue on in nursing school. That's one of the, you know, huge barriers that I faced. You know, I, like I said, I came from a family of 11 kids, right. you know, with one parent working. So there was not a lot of resources. But I was able to, you know, go to a state school that provided, you know, provided me with the scholarship and provided other resources, you know, things that I could apply for in terms of, you know, continuing my education. So I think that's a huge barrier for continuing into like, you know, advanced degrees, master's, PhD, DMP, because it can become very costly. And if people 
wait to continue their education because of a cost barrier, how long would that take? Particularly, you know, when you think about people that are starting families or, you know, have other competing demands, if they're taking care of, you know, aging parents um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think it's imperative to think about, you know, scholarship opportunities and ways to support students to continue um, through the pipeline all the way from undergraduate, well, quite honestly, all the way from high school to try to get, you know, high schoolers interested in nursing and right. all the opportunities that are available in nursing and then helping to shepherd them through um, a BSN, a master's, a PhD, DMP, whatever, you know, whichever road they feel they should take and into faculty roles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. Uh, I think we, we're not uh, tapping the resources that we have. And one of the reasons actually, I, you know, I feel like I say this on every podcast, uh, but one of the reasons I started the podcast was to really introduce what else is out there for my students, because I really started this podcast for my undergraduate leadership students that I had at the previous institution. Um, and it just sort of taken off, but really uh, exemplifying like what nurses are doing after they're graduating. And so many of my students are like, I never knew I could do that. And yeah. I think those are missed opportunities for us, right? To introduce what nursing is doing beyond the bed, at bedside and beyond the bedside. But I think we do a really good job from an undergraduate level at what they do at the bedside, but we're just not doing what else is out there for them. Well, and then also being very um, multidisciplinary in our approach, because we do sit at the intersection of both you know, basic science and social science. We right. embody both of those things. And so we have a lot of skill and a lot of um, talent that we can contribute to both, you know, both sides of, of the fence here. I can tell you from my experience in undergrad, I, I had the great experience of being able to take part in this, um, in an R25 funded grant mechanism for, um, uh, it was called, MVRS, MVRS, Minority Biomedical Research Support Program. And that was at Wayne State. But it, it was, you know, a program where I gained a lot of experience working in the laboratory with basic science researchers. And I was a nursing school student. Wow. But, you know, I was hit with some reason, not from basic science researcher side of things, but from the nursing side, asking me questions like, why are you doing that? That's not nursing. <laughs> And I, you know, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I'm like, well, but we nurses have to understand the basic physiology of what's happening with a person in order to <laughs> figure out how to respond and how to create a care plan that's appropriate, appropriate for that person. So mind you, this is before all the terms of like precision health or precision medicine, but I couldn't, it was hard for me to understand and even now, I'm glad that I had that experience because I feel like it made me a better nurse because I could understand the basic science. I could, I knew what was happening in the patient's body before it actually happened. So I could intervene early. Yeah. And then I had that great experience of working in the lab and doing all the basic science work. So it was really translatable to the bedside and to the community before, and again, before we had the term clinical translational science. What we're really describing when we talk about clinical translational science and precision health is nursing. That's what nursing has always been. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why I had so much difficulty, like, well, what do you mean that's not, not nursing? That's exactly what nursing is. We understand these things from a basic level, physiological level, to the symptom presentation. And, you know, we try to intervene before you have these problems and issues. And, you know, I just, I think that if, if we could do more programming around hands-on experiences for high school or undergraduate students and get them more involved in things that, uh, you know, opportunities that are available in nursing. So yeah. everything from bedside nursing to industry to, you know, device development to, you know, entrepreneurship in nursing to, you know, the opportunities are limitless. Right. And I right. think a lot of times when people think about nurses, 
you think about what you see on television, particularly what you saw on television during COVID-19. You see the nurses that are exhausted with the, you know, um, with the sores on their face from wearing a mask for, you know, 14 hours on end. And yes, nurses were absolutely heroes. Don't get me wrong. And they gave tirelessly and endlessly, particularly during the pandemic. They did. But we also need to show the, and so, but it showed like how nurses worked to the, you know, work, were worked to, you know, their just exhaustion. Right. But we, right. we don't see the messages of the rewards though, how people, some, you know, a lot of people did recover. We made an impact on these people's lives. Why we become nurses, why we want to, we are caring for human beings. We are providing our skills and our labor because we care about people's well-being. And I think that needs to be more of the messaging of the rewards and why people go into nursing and why it's important to become a nurse rather than all the negatives. Of course, there are, yeah. you know, anything you do, there's pluses and minuses, but I think the re the rewards outweigh the negatives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, you, just, you just triggered a thing for me, um, uh, having the ability of work work from home once in a while um like it was you 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 hit the nail on the head on this one just because i think we do see we see the label labor of nursing right mm -hmm. but we don't see the what the outcomes of the contributions are uh right. i don't know if you're familiar i'm sure you are uh, with good morning america robin roberts was on there yeah. she had cancer uh a few years back she went through this whole uh treatment process a few weeks ago she recognized two of her transplant nurses who were essential uh for her recovery and where she is now and uh there's a whole thing about it but it was this is like 10 years after she's gone through this process that she came back and she recognized the two her, her two transplant nurses that really uh shepherded her through this process of going and, re and recovering. And those are the outcomes that we often yes. don't see. It was their skill set, their knowledge that really got her to this point. And uh, we don't do enough of that. Um, and I think we don't do enough of honoring nurses um, mm. with recognitions. So for example, um, and I've said this and in, in <laughs> I interviewed um, Ibrahim Kendi X, um, on his book, um, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And he, he's a MacArthur Award winner. Wow. How, and, and tremendous work, great author, great writer, but, and it has nothing to do with him, but I just bring it to, you know, to the forefront here. Why is it that we have these prominent awards like the MacArthur Genius Award? during COVID, during the, you know, World Health Organization Year of the Nurse, but no nurses <laughs> receive these awards. It is astounding. Like, are you kidding me? I think yeah. one nurse in, in the 80s has won the MacArthur Genius Award. In wow. the entire time, there has been the MacArthur Genius Award. I think that is a tragedy. I think there needs to be more national recognition of the contributions that nurses make all the way from the bedside to, you know, uh, practitioners in practice, um, those um, providing care to people in clinics, all the work that was done to transform clinics to fever and cough clinics, to, you know, testing centers, to um, immunization clinics. It was amazing to see all the things that nurses could, you know, did and that they were able to do it during a time when everything was just um, tumultuous. Yep. And they did it and, you know, we were better for it as a society. But how are we recognizing all of this tremendous work and these efforts and the imprint that it has made? I think it's, it's I think it's a tragedy. I think nurses should be recognized for the Shaw Prize, all these prizes in life sciences, biomedical sciences. We need to have more nurses and um, uh, practitioners and nurse scientists recognized. 
Absolutely. Um, uh, not not to point blame, but do you think, do you see that as a professional, is it a professional fault that we don't do enough to recognize our colleagues uh, in the profession? Because so many things come up and unless somebody, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people where I, 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 I hate to submit myself for things. Mm -hmm. I don't submit myself <laughs> for things, right? But waiting around for other people to recognize work I see so many great people around me, so many great colleagues that are doing incredible work and never, as you mentioned, never get recognized for it. Um, do you think that's our own fault as a profession that we need to do a better job at that? Or... I think we need to do a better, I think people are very humble, especially yes. people that are doing great work. They're more interested in the work and they don't care about the recognition. Right. But I think it's important for the profession so I can applaud the people that are doing the work. They're not doing it for an award or to be recognized. They're doing it because that's truly where their passion lies and they right. want to help people. And, and I love that. That is exactly why you should do what you do. <laughs> but if we want to advance the, the, the profession, I think we need to do a better job at um, promoting each other. Yes. Um, I, I know it's difficult to promote yourself because... You know, <laughs> I would have difficulty promoting myself for, myself for an award, but I would hope that my colleagues, you know, and, and they have, like my colleagues have nominated me for things. I nominate my colleagues for other things, but I think we need to also do a better job at um, becoming more multidisciplinary so that some of our multidisciplinary colleagues that are asked to nominate people for these things like MacArthur or Shaw, maybe nurse scientists are not asked to nominate people. I don't know. Right. Um, maybe, you know, people that are physician scientists or basic scientists or um, people in population health are asked to nominate people and they don't necessarily think of their nurse scientists or nurse clinician colleagues as eligible. Right. So I think just, you know, um, I guess it's educating and working with people across disciplines could open up more opportunities for recognition. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of awards that I've heard of before, but as, as I'm sure many other people, I've never even thought about a nurse receiving it. Uh, I think they that's absolutely a, should. And they should absolutely. And I think we just like I, I, I don't. Um, yeah, I guess we probably also need to do a better job at educating nursing about what we're even eligible for, or mm -hmm. what kind of things are out there. Because we see things like you know that are nurse specific awards, but I think nursing. I mean, we've been siloed forever, so I think that that's another issue. Is like we just haven't uh, looked at other professions and what awards are out there, so we can recognize colleagues for them. So that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, I want to get back to your. Uh, how did you? Uh, I like we figured out how you ended up in nursing, but how did you decide? And I'm and I'm assuming some of the work that you did as an undergrad, uh, working with the biological sciences led to some of the work that you did in yes. your career moving forward. How did you decide what you're going to be studying uh, from a researcher perspective? Yeah, um, that, that's kind of a funny story too. So I was an undergraduate student at Wayne State, you know, just arrived on campus and, you know, I was looking for a job, to be honest, you know, poor college student, I need a job just so I can have money. So <laughs> I went to, um, to my, you know, the counseling office where they can help you find like work study jobs on campus. And I went into the work study office and I talked to the counselor and they say, okay, you know, what are you interested in? And so I started talking about, you know, people in my community have high blood pressure. I want, you know, I'm 18 years old. I want to, I want to cure hypertension basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, very naively, but you know, I want to work on this and I don't want this to be a problem in my community anymore, anymore. My father has hypertension, you know, people in my family have high, hypertension. I want to know, you know, how to affect change in this area, particularly in, in Black communities. And, you know, she was being very sarcastic and just flippant with me, like, well, I think you should go and talk to the chair of the physiology department at the medical school. 
And as an 18 year old, I think she's being very serious. I went for advice. <laughs> you're giving me advice. So I'm going to do what you said. I'm like, oh, well, who is that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so she says, well, this is Dr. Dunbar, just Dunbar. And I said, OK, you know, if you tell me this is what I need to do, you know, I don't know any better. I'm going to go do that. So I went over to the medical school. I didn't make an appointment. I didn't know what a department chair was. I'm 18 years old. Just, you know, stepped me foot on campus for like, you know, the first time, first semester. So you tell me to go over to the medical school and talk to Dr. Dunbar. That's I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> so, so I go over to the medical school and, you know, the um, uh, department chair, he go into his office. He has a um, an assistant there. And I introduced myself. I'm Jackie. You know, I'm a student here. I went to the advising office. They told me I should come and talk to Dr. Dunbar and I give my host bill. And I know, you know, now on, being on the other side as a faculty member, I'm sure, you know, the assistant is probably like, who is this person and why is she here? So she calls back into, into Dr. Dunbar's office. He answers the phone. I can only imagine what he could have been thinking, like, why is she here? And but he was gracious enough, you know, and this is, you know, at the time when people were in their offices too. He was gracious enough to see me. And then we had a conversation and he said, okay. And that's when he, you know, let me know that he had this grant and I could, you know, work on this grant as, you know, a student research assistant. And I could work in one of his labs. And, you know, if I'm interested in that, and it's, you know, he did work in hypertension and diabetes. And I was like, yes, that's perfect, you know. And I had no idea what I was signing up for, but I think sometimes that's really good <laughs> because you are able to, you know, open your um, eyes to various opportunities. So when I got into the lab, I, you know, I was doing everything that doctoral students and postdocs were doing. And it was because no one told me that I couldn't. I said, well, you know, show me how to do that. <laughs> you know, Perfect. show me how to do cell culture. Show me how to use the spectrofluorometry uh, machine. Show me how to do, you know, develop these, you know, um, uh, these gels. You know, how do you do that? Show me how to dissect the aorta from, from this Wistar rat. I can do that. I wanted to do everything. And they let me. And it was fantastic. <laughs> and so that's how I really was interested in not only learning how things work in the human body, how, you know, vessels constrict or relax based on, you know, different um, elements that you expose them to, whether it's different medications or different environmental exposures, but then also thinking about how does this work in a human so even though I was doing this work in the lab, I still wanted to have the human interaction and translate that to how will this help people? If I'm doing these experiments on these various drugs, how will this help or change the care that people will receive when they're, you know, um, coming in for hypertension, for um, help with their blood pressure? Now, mind you, I continued on and became a nurse practitioner, and I was able, you know, I had a mobile clinic, a pediatric mobile clinic. Wow. But then as I continued on to my uh, PhD, I wanted to learn more of not just how this affects people that already have hypertension, but what can we do to um, identify risk factors early in life in children so that we can intervene early so they don't develop hypertension at an early age, like their parents or their grandparents. So that's what really started my across the lifespan approach um, to doing work and, um, and looking at genomics across the lifespan and cardiovascular genomics. And then that also led me to do a postdoc in urban health aging because I was very competent in my skills as a clinician, as a pediatric nurse practitioner, but I felt like I could benefit from learning more about what happens in the physiology of a person as they age in terms of um, vascular physiology. So that kind of rounded out some of my education. But once I started out as faculty and doing research in uh, cardiovascular genomics, I quickly learned that the, um, the training that I received in um, statistics was not sufficient for genomics and looking at um, advanced genomic data analysis. 
So I applied to a program at Washington University in St. Louis. And again, this was um, a program that was our 25 funded program to, to um, enhance uh, training in cardiovascular, cardiovascular genetic epidemiology, working hands on with large data sets like the Hypergen data set, the Genoa data set, Jackson Heart study. But in the application, and the, and the ad that came out for people to apply, I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I can spend, you spend two summers in St. Louis and you get to, you know, work with the leaders in cardiovascular genomics. And I was like, this is perfect that, you know, really helped me advance, you know, my studies in this area. The application was open to basic science researchers, physician scientists, and statisticians. And so I called the director um, Dr. D.C. Rao, he's still there now. <laughs> again, I think it was just, I didn't know any better. <laughs> and I just, you know, when I have these questions, I just, and I think now I encourage people to do the same thing. If you have questions, just ask, because maybe it's just an oversight. Maybe, you know, someone had not thought about that. And you can, you know, rectify this in terms of including nursing more. So I called the director and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a nurse, I'm doing this work and I'm very interested, but I see in the application that it's, you know, only open to these disciplines, you know, I would like to apply, <laughs> would you consider my application? <laughs> <laughs> and I think my directness to him was, you know, he said, oh, you know, I think it was truly an oversight. They just had not thought about nursing. And so, you know, I went there, it was a fantastic experience. I've encouraged other nurses, they have completed the program. And now I think, you know, they really look to nursing, like, please send us some more nurse scientists. Like we have had such a great experience with the nurses that have gone through this program. I think that, you know, that we would never be overlooked again in that, in that particular way. And I think it really gets to the message that we were saying about different honors and awards that, we have been so siloed, I guess, while we have been, we have been building the profession, but now at this point, I think that it's time for other um, disciplines and professions to learn about what it is that we have to offer. And not just as complementary, but also as leaders that mm, we can yeah. lead a lot of these investigations. I can lead a study on cardiovascular genome mix because I can do all the things, everything from designing the study to working with the communities i you know we do that as nurses you know already working with people at the bedside and in community care i can do the laboratory analysis i can do the data analysis and i can translate that information and disseminate it and say how it's going to not only what not only what the statistical significance of it is but what is the clinical significance and how does it translate to care for people yeah and i, I think we don't really value that because we do it all the time, but I think it's really like gold to everyone else that we have these skills. And, you know, we think it's just, oh, it's innate because we, you know, this is what we do as nurses. But I think when you look at other disciplines that, you know, if you look at a basic scientist, their objective is not to translate it to clinical practice. Their objective is to say, is this significantly changing something or not? And right. that's it. Um, on the clinician side, maybe clinician scientists are looking at how, how does this affect care or treatment, but they may not be looking at the basic science side or how it translates to um, caring for people in the community. But as nurses, we look at all those things. We take a, a holistic approach to our care and to our research into our practice into our translation uh, i agree and i think part of what we need to do better as a profession as you mentioned is really educate other professions in the capabilities of nursing because if they knew what nurses were capable of we would have been the nursing nurses would have been part of the people who could apply for for those for that application that you had to call in for. So I think a lot of it has to do with those uh, sort of stereotypes of what nursing does and that le mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's uh, that leaves us out of a lot of conversations that we should be included in because we do have the skill sets. 
So I agree. And I think we're our worst critics because like I said, early on in my career, I was told, why are you doing that? That's not nursing. Right. I don't think we could ever say those words to anyone coming through nursing ever again. My response is I'm a nurse and I'm doing it. So that's right. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's absolutely. Really- yeah, yeah. You're really <laughs> saying I'm bringing a nursing perspective to it. That's right. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be in that uh, in, in that, that area. arena. That's right. That right. we can cross various disciplines and that we have a lot to contribute to to all areas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to be cognizant of our time, and I definitely want to touch on some of your um, EDI work that you have been doing. Uh, in addition to your uh, to your roles, um, can you uh, explain how you decided you're going to? Because you actually uh, started a program uh, um, at uh, at Columbia. Um, mm-hmm. So how is your how is how did how did your EDI work um, kind of blend into your work as a nurse scientist? Well. From the very beginning, all of my work has been focused on um, uh, cardiovascular disease and and underserved communities. Um, I started out, like I said, in Detroit, serving um, Detroit community. That was an area of of need. Um, Hypertension was one of, you know, Detroit had one of the highest incidence and prevalence of hypertension, particularly in the Black community across the country. Um, so I think it's important to promote and to look at these um, communities that have been overlooked for so long. Um, and also to, um, in addition to focusing my work on Black community, black and brown communities, I have worked to help um, grow the workforce and um, faculty uh, to include more diversity in those ranks as well the student body, faculty, um, and, and, and in all areas. Because it's important that we see examples of people doing the work so that we can really envision ourselves doing it. Like I said, when I first started um, thinking about nursing, it was because I was provided care by an African-American nurse at the bedside. And it didn't really, it was not a thought in my head until I became sick and saw that. And, and it, you know, I really thought, well, I can, I can do that. So I think we need to have more examples of um, underrepresented minorities doing, showcasing uh, people doing this work. We need to increase um, studies on underrepresented minorities by underrepresented minorities um, so that we can be more reflective of the communities that we um, that we serve. I think um, you know particularly particularly in the genomic space, there is not enough work done in um, in uh, black and brown communities and so we need to increase representation there because we can't really say, um, if, we, if the genomic data, databases that we have don't have representation, it's very difficult for us to draw conclusions on what are variants of, you know, of risk for particular diseases and how does that translate to communities of color. And then thinking about the social aspects that can also affect health. So this was another way, um, just going back to my training, I had the great fortune of being trained by multidisciplinary um, uh, uh, faculty. So even though I had my nursing faculty that were, were there to support the work that I was doing, my K award, my mentee for that was not, um, my primary mentor was not a nurse. It was, um, a genetic epidemiologist, um, who was in the school of public health at the university of Michigan, Dr. Sharon Cardia. And then one of my other mentors that was very influential in the work that I do today was a social scientist, Dr. James Jackson. So he helped me think about, okay, you know, you're doing great work at the bench, um, looking at, you know, genetic risk for hypertension, but what are some other things that you think that might interact with that to um, result in, you know, these high rates of hypertension among Black communities? And so really looking at some things like racism, discrimination, trauma, social support, what are some of the factors that can influence why we see these disparities in this particular um, uh, uh, healthcare outcome? And so, again, that really helped me to think about, you know, environment, 
environmental factors, helped me think about social factors. And this is before we had the term social determinants of health. And so if we work more multidisciplinary, I think that can help not only broaden our viewpoint, but it can open doors and opportunities for nursing as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> now, from a leadership perspective, you've taken the leadership role in creating some of these programs with different institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, how? What does nursing need to do to do a better job at leading some of this work as opposed to just being part of some of this work? I think nursing needs to elevate minority faculty to administrative leadership roles um, and not just um, directors of diversity, although those are, don't get me wrong, it's very important. I was one. I was an associate <laughs> dean of diversity. It's a, it's it's a great first step. It's a great first step. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't think it's a first step. I think that's a step once you're tenured, because I think you still have the uh, responsibilities of, of Um, going through and earning tenure based on your um, scientific expertise, whatever that may be. And not all other faculty don't have this added responsibility of being the director or dean or associate dean of diversity. And I think it's very unfair to um, minority faculty to assume all of this burden because they may be the only minority or one of few minority faculty um, that are on staff. Right. So I think it's, if we really believe that diversity is important, then it should be a shared contribution. It should not just be one person's response, and it should not be the responsibility of minority fac- faculty to undo all the racism and discrimination that has been created over 300 years at these institutions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we can do our part because we want a better place for all of, you know, for all people work, including ourselves, we want to work in a place that is not discriminatory in nature. We want to work in a place that's very supportive and we have a sense of belonging. But I think it's the first one step is to make sure that we have senior faculty in um, leadership positions that are not just diversity deans. So who are your deans of research and your mm. vice deans of faculty advancement and your vice deans of student um, support and advancement? Who can um, can minority uh, faculty and students look toward to say, I can get support from this person or I can, you know, I can do that one day. Are we training? Do we have training programs for junior faculty to work with these so that they can think about succession planning. So in the future, they can say, well, maybe I would like to be an associate dean of research or faculty advancement or, you know, um, student advancement or uh, or what have you. But I think thrusting people into roles that they're not ready for is not good for the institution. It's not good for junior mm. faculty. It should definitely, we have to do something more. We need these diversity roles. But who are the most appropriate people to take on these roles is definitely more senior faculty. And we need more senior faculty as deans of prominent nursing schools so that we show that representation. We need more uh, uh, faculty of color that are in these vice dean positions, provost positions, vice provost positions, all the way from the top. So that we don't feel like we're just relegated to only diversity roles, even though this is not what we received our training in. I have been trained as a cardiovascular genetic nurse. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Now, mind you, all of my work has centered around diversity, equity, and inclusion because I, I study diverse populations. But do you, you know, it's not fair to, um, consume junior faculty that have not obtained tenure yet with these roles. It's very unfair. I don't recommend it. Um, I know everybody wants to contribute and do their part because it's something you're passionate about, but you should be given the same opportunity to grow your program of research just like everyone else. Without right. the added responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just to clarify, when I said it's a great first step, I meant it's a great first step for the for these for institutions yes. to recognize there's a need for this role. Um, oh, sure. So, so yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, but yeah, but how do we integrate it so it's everybody's responsibility? 
Well, if we tie it to um, annual evaluations, yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know, if we tie it to that and we monetize it, I think that's one way. Um, We need need to have accountability, that accountability. There there has to be some accountability. Yes. Yes, that we're integrating in our in our teaching, in our work that we're doing, in the colleagues that we are working with to, to develop the research that we're doing. So yeah, absolutely. And so just like you know, in our evaluations, if you have a tripartite mission, you know, on you know research, teaching, service, and you are evaluated, DEI or EDI, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion should be added to that, and we yes. should be evaluated on these four things. Yeah. And if you don't contribute anything to it, then you don't receive, you know, the increases that you would receive as if you didn't, re- if you did not contribute anything to the research mission or right. the service mission or the teaching. Right. So wait, to, wait it. If we wait it as heavily as we say um, that it's, um, as we um, say that it's important to us, then right. see differences. Yeah, it needs to be important for everybody to, because uh, if I don't think I'm going to be held responsible for it, or if I'm not accountable, we won't see the um, the, the outcomes that we like to see. Definitely. So again, want to be super conscious of your time. Uh, anything else you want to share with 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 the audience? Uh, no, I just you know follow your passions, be bold, be fearless, but also remember to be kind because we are nurses. We're taking care of human beings. So um, and continue to follow your dreams. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for being <laughs> with us today. Uh, we have been listening to Dr. Jacqueline Taylor. Uh, she is the Helen F. Petit uh, Professor of Nursing at Columbia University School of Nursing and is the founding executive director of the Center for Research on People of Color. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we will see you again soon. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.